You may be seated. I'm going to just connect up here real quickly the iPad. Last week I forgot my microphone, and this week I forgot the iPad that controls the screen. So we're going to... All right, we got it. Good. All right. This is our final message in the book of Jonah. Go ahead and open your Bible to Jonah chapter 4. Now this weekend, as David already prayed, this weekend we're, we're, we're remembering something. We have an event this weekend. What is, what is this weekend? Memorial Day. Memorial Day, a memorial is in place for you to remember something. We think of the Israelites. They would have these memorials so that they could remember what had happened. What are we remembering this weekend? It's not just soldiers. We do that for Veterans Day. It's not just the death of people. We could go to a cemetery and do that. There's something specific about Memorial Day that causes us to stop and reflect. What we remember, what we mourn, what we celebrate is soldiers who stayed on mission. Soldiers who paid the ultimate price for something they believed in. Several of you are history buffs or you like watching documentaries. I'm always surprised either if I'm reading a memoir or if I'm watching a different series or different movies about different wars, how much dedication, how much commitment we see in soldiers to the mission. Now, sometimes they don't understand every element. They're not the general. They're not making all of the decisions for that mission but they're committed to it. They're all in. And Memorial Day is the day when we remember and celebrate the people who were all in on those mission. Now, who are the people we don't celebrate and honor on Memorial Day? We don't celebrate deserters. We don't celebrate traitors. We don't celebrate people who abandoned or never even pursued the mission. We celebrate people who are all the way in. Now this morning, we're finishing up Jonah. We've already seen a lot from Jonah. Here's the question. Is Jonah the type of person that deserves a memorial day? Is Jonah the type of person who was all in on the mission? He was all in on doing that. Is he? No. In chapter 1, Jonah received the mission. God said, go. Jonah said, no. Jonah didn't do it. Jonah ran away from the mission. That didn't work. God pursued him. God sent a storm. Jonah sees, all right, God's pursuing me. So at that point, Jonah turned around and said, all right, God, I submit. I'll do the mission. Is that what he did? No, he's like, throw me in. I'd rather die. I don't want to be part of this mission. Did God let him die? No. He delivered him. Delivered him from sinking in his sin. And he gave and he provided the fish. Now Jonah, Jonah praises God. 
And maybe Jonah thinks, you know what, as long as I praise God, if I honor God, maybe by this point God's forgotten the mission and, and he'll have asked that someone else or maybe he'll have changed his mind. Is that what happened? No, he gets spit out and what does God say? The word of God came to Jonah the second time. Get up, arise, go to Nineveh and speak the message that I have given you. How about in Nineveh? Does it seem, just reading, that Jonah's again all in on this mission, that he goes in and he goes everywhere that he can, grabs each person and says, you need to hear this. You need to know that God is saying he's going to destroy you because of your evil. You need to know that you've sinned against God. You need to know that you need to repent. Is that what God says, that Jonah says? Five words. Yet in 40 days and, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Doesn't mention God. Doesn't mention their evil. Doesn't mention hope. Doesn't mention how to repent. Jonah tries to sabotage the mission. Over and over again, Jonah is against this mission. So why does he deserve a book in the Bible? Like that would be going and saying, you know what? Who's the most famous traitor? Benedict Arnold, right? Like we've got this big, big thing. Let's, let's make a statue for him. Let's do that. Let's get a, a CIA agent who turned and became KGB or something in, in the Cold War, and let's, let's put a big statue of him in front of CIA. Does that make sense? Why is Jonah here in the Bible when he makes decision after decision that's wrong? Two reasons. The first reason is to highlight God. To show a God who is merciful to his sinful, unmerciful messenger. He continually gives grace and mercy to the sinful Jonah, to the sailors, to the Ninevites. This story of seeing failure after failure highlights who God, God is. But there's a second reason. The second reason is to do a case study on Jonah, to use Jonah's life as something we can study and observe and then use that to look at our own lives. Many of you read different help books or um, books on like habits or how to change things, how to be more successful. And many of those books, the first part of every chapter is a case study. It's a story. It's something that tells you this is what that person did. And then the rest of the chapter is to explaining and this is what that led to. This is what they could have done different. That's what we do with Jonah. We reach Jonah, and it doesn't have the ending that we would want. But that's so that we can then look, okay, this is what Jonah did. What am I doing? Where's my heart in all of this? God's goal in pursuing Jonah is to reach Jonah's heart. But God's goal in giving us the book of Jonah is to reach our heart. Our big idea this morning is that God mercifully pursues his messengers when they misunderstand their mission and lack his mercy. God mercifully pursues his messengers even when they misunderstand their mission and lack his mercy. This is what we're going to do today, okay? First, we're going to go through this final part of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, when Jonah's heart is finally exposed, and we're going to go through the different steps. We're going to see what happens in this chapter. 
But we're not going to just end there. We're not, the goal is not to just know more information about Jonah. No, the goal then is we're going to go back through that. And we're going to look at our own heart. Is our heart like Jonah's? Because the reality is it more often than not is like Jonah. Let's look at this first part, this first verse. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. First thing we're going to look at is Jonah's emotion. Look what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Up to this point, Jonah's been kind of hard to read. Jonah really hasn't demonstrated that much emotion. He's answered questions to the sailors. There's a little bit of emotion in in chapter 2 where he talks about going into the depths. There's not really much of anything in chapter 3. But here, we see what's going on under the surface. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. The word for angry there is hot. He was burning up. He was seething inside. Why? What is Jonah so angry about? The verse says, it. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. What is it? Well, look back one verse. Cindy read it earlier. The it is that Nineveh repented and God rescued. Jonah is seething that that happened. That wasn't the plan. God, he's been running away from that mission the whole book. He was willing to die for not, to not let that happen. But it still happened. And Jonah is angry. He did not want that to happen. But look at the next verses. I want you to see and get the sense of Jonah's exasperation. What's happening here? Look at what he says at the beginning. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when, when I was yet in my country? He's exasperated. God, I told you this was going to happen. I told you this is what you were going to do. Didn't I say that this would happen? Now, what's crazy is that we see here that these are not new feelings. This isn't a new revelation for Jonah where he's just now come to the reason of like, I finally understood why I was running away. This makes sense to me now. I get it. No, this is what I felt when I was in my own country. This is how I felt when you first gave me the mission. Look at what he says. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's finally answering the why. Now, this, this is good, right? So far, as we've been going through the whole book, has Jonah made stupid decisions? Yes. Yes. Let's try that a little more emphatic. Has Jonah made dumb decisions? Yes. And have we really ever, we've gotten clues, we've gotten some nuances there, but have we ever really understood why is Jonah making so many dumb choices? He's a prophet. He's supposed to be doing this. He's a child of God. He's one of the Israelites. What's going on here? All right. He's finally about to tell us. He's going to tell us. He's like, this is why I ran away. This is going to be good, right? It's got to be a good reason. He's got to have something very legitimate to run away. Let's see what he says. 
This is why. Because I knew you were, wait, what? I knew you were gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That makes sense. Yeah, if I'm going to run, I, who wouldn't want to run away from a God like that? This doesn't make sense. Unless we look a little bit deeper. Why would Jonah say, I wanted to run away because I knew you to be these things? Why would he run away because God is gracious and slow to anger? Does that make sense? No. Now, does, God act, does Jonah actually hate those qualities of God? No. Jonah knows that Israel has been the recipient of those things time and time again. He's actually quoting God for most of this from Exodus when God says, God passes before Moses, and this is what God says of himself. God tells him that he's a gracious God, merciful. But the context in which God says that, when God says those words to, to Moses, what happened right before that? Israel was worshiping the golden calf. And God says, I'm going to destroy them. But then he relents from the disaster. Jonah doesn't have a problem with that. That's the general truth that, that Israel has felt this. It's the specific truth for himself, though. What was the message that Jonah revealed earlier in his ministry? Hey, God's going to restore our lands. I've got good news. Well, was it when Israel had turned from their evil when they were in a good place? No. It was Jeroboam II. They were evil. So does Jonah have an issue with these qualities? Is Jonah angry with these qualities across the board? No. Jonah's fine with those qualities of God right here. His problem is when God de demonstrates those to other people. His problem is that he does not understand the mission. To Jonah... The mission is Israel. There's nothing outside of that. God, you are supposed to show mercy to me. You're supposed to show mercy to Israel. You can't show mercy also to Nineveh. Those two ideas can't work together, God. You're messing up the mission. God, I was trying to save you from you. I knew you were these things. I knew you were gracious. So God, I ran away because I didn't want you to show mercy to the wrong people. God, you're off mission. You're not supposed to save Nineveh. If you save them, how can you possibly save us? What Jonah doesn't understand is that this has always been part of God's mission. When God went to Abraham, he told him in Genesis 12, verse 3, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's mission was to show mercy not just to Israel, but through Israel. But Jonah doesn't see that. To Jonah, you can't show mercy to Nineveh and to Israel. So God, I'm not, this isn't okay. I didn't want to go here. I ran away because I didn't want you to show mercy to the wrong people. And yet God mercifully pursues Jonah again. He doesn't abandon him. 
He understands. God sees that Jonah doesn't understand the mission. Now look at what Jonah's request is. Look at Jonah's entreaty. Jonah is going to make a request here. And look what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the equivalent of a child in a supermarket who is told, no, you can't have Lucky Charms. Kicking and screaming, my life is over! I hate this! I want to die! Jonah, I'm still showing you mercy. Jonah, I haven't cut you out. But, but they have it, and this is not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, look, look what the first word is. Therefore, now, O Lord. Meaning, what Jonah's saying is, because of these attributes of you, because of that, kill me. The irony here is that the other times that we have seen people address God in this book, they have, both times they've said, Lord, please do not let us perish. The sailors pray to God at the end of chapter 1, and they're like, God, don't let us perish for this innocent man's blood. Caveat, not innocent. But please don't let us die for him. But God, you have done as you have seen fit. But please don't let us die. What are they saying? God, you're in control. If you want us to die, we'll die. But, but we'd rather not, but we trust you. What about Nineveh? The end, when the king says, who knows God may relent. God may turn from this, and we might not perish. What is he saying? It's still up to God. We don't want to die, but it's God's choice. What's Jonah doing? Is Jonah demonstrating humility? No. He's doing the opposite. He's proudly saying, kill me. Now, here's what I think is going on here. Does it, when a child throws a tantrum, do they actually want Oh, I hate this. You know, leave me. I, I, wanna, I'm, I never want to be with you again. What are they trying to do? Manipulate. Ultimatum. It's either me or them, God. Are you going to choose, are you going to kill me, your prophet, one of your chosen people, or are you going to keep Nineveh? Because those are contradictory. You can't keep both. So God, what, what's it going to be? Because I'm telling you right now, it's better for me to be dead than alive if you're going to keep showing mercy to them. Now, what's Jonah doing when he says something's better? The word he's using is the same word that we see in Genesis when we start the Bible, then God said that it was good. He's saying it's good for me to die. It's better for me to die. Who gets to make that kind of choice? The person in charge. Jonah's saying, I'm in charge. I've already evaluated, God. You've, you've done messed up. You've made some mistakes. Jonah's saying, look, this is better. If, if you're going to keep doing what you're doing, I've, there's a better way. This is Jonah's pride. He only sees his way. He only understands his narrow mission. He's not willing to see the bigger mission, but God is still pursuing him. God asks Jonah a question, but Jonah evades it. It's outside of the mission. It's outside of what he wants to see. God says in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Here's that, that twist, a, a little bit of a twist again. Jonah says it's better or good 
to be dead. So God kind of turns the question and says, is it good to be angry? All right, Jonah, you're coming to me. You're seeing yourself as judge. You're saying that you have a better plan, that I've messed up. I haven't done the right mission. All right, if you're in this place, this lofty position that you see everything so clearly, let me ask you a question. Is it good to be angry? Hard question? No, not a hard question. Does Jonah answer it? No, I'm not answering that question. If I answer that question, I weaken my argument. I'll just evade it. So Jonah doesn't answer. But God doesn't let him go. It's not enough. It's not like he's like, all right, Jonah's not interested. You know, let's go. No, God continues to pursue him. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 is really the key to unlocking what we've looked at to really understand what's going on. Because in verse 5, we see what Jonah's expectation is. We see what he was hoping to accomplish with his little tantrum, with his threat, with his challenge to God about God's attributes. What was Jonah really trying to accomplish? What was his expectation that would happen? It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would, hap- what would become of the city. Does Jonah not know what's going to become to the city? Like, does he still think that something's different? Like, does he still think that there's a chance that they're going to be destroyed and and he wasn't sure? No. When he started, verse 1, he already knew. He already knew that God had relented from disaster. That was already set. So why is Jonah now going out to to the mountain to watch what's going to happen? Because his expectation is what he did to God worked. That God's going to turn it around. That, hey, I threw this tantrum, I let you know, I told you, God, your mission's wrong, I I, I corrected you, and so what's going to happen now is you're going to make things right. But I'm going to make sure. I'm not not going back to Israel, I'm going to go up on this mountain, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to make sure that you choose what's going to happen, that you make the decision of me versus them. It's the trial, God, this is what's going to happen. Are you picking me or them? Jonah's expectation is that what he said, his challenge to God, would change God's mind. Jonah looked at God's mission as something movable. That God is someone that could be manipulated. That, God, that Jonah could do these actions and it would change what God would do. But God and Jonah are on different missions. God's heart and Jonah's heart don't match, but God is not a God who submits to man. Could you imagine if we served a God who submitted to the whims and fancies and manipulations of us? Imagine if Jonah had the power he thinks he has. What would happen to this world? But that's not how it works. And God pursues Jonah. Look at what happens in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Remember, he was exceedingly angry. His displeasure was great at the beginning. But now he's so happy Jonah is elated. Why is Jonah so happy 
about this plan. Now, if, if you remember, it says that, that there was shade. Now, it might be that Jonah's just really a fan of shade, likes shade. And now he's, he was very angry, but God gave him some, a little bit of an umbrella. Now he's super happy. But I think that there's more going on here. One of the reasons is because Jonah already had shade. Jonah had made a hut for himself because he was planning on camping out for a while, maybe even 40 days. He was willing to watch there. Jonah already has some shade. Now, I, I imagine that this added more comfort to Jonah. I think that that is part of it. But what, what is Jonah still expecting here? Jonah still thinks that God is going to change his mind and follow what Jonah has asked. If Jonah's, that's Jonah's expectation, what would be a way for God to show him that's what he's going to do? What would be a way to show Jonah, hey Jonah, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I wanted to show some mercy to them, but I, that was a mistake. I'm, I wanna, I, you're my guy. I, I, you're the, the person I want to invest in. How would God show that in Jonah's mind? Hey, look at this miracle. God cares about me. God's giving me a plant for me to be comfortable while I watch them be destroyed. This is wonderful. That would lead Jonah to being exceedingly glad. Why? Because he thinks God's chosen him. He thinks that God's changed his mind. All right, God, yes, we're back on the same team. Look, that was a journey. No hard feelings. Didn't really appreciate being swallowed by a fish, but bygones be bygones. Let's move forward. Let's get this fire and brimstone, get a, let's get it started. Is that what God does? No, Jonah's wrong. Jonah's perception, Jonah's an error. He doesn't understand, understand what God's doing. The plant is not a sign that God has changed. The plant is part of God's pursuit. Look at the, the next verse. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. First time, appointed this was God's choice, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. There's this great imagery in this passage about the heat and the comfort. Jonah says he's angry, which is that idea of hot and seething. But then Jonah is, is fine in the shade. He's comfortable. He's no longer angry. But God shows that there's still something deeper. There's still a problem in that heart. Now here's, here's what's incredible. This is one of the, the sense of humor the cleverness of God, the author in putting this together. If you look at the beginning, it says that God did it to save him from his discomfort. That's one meaning for that word. The second meaning for that word is the word evil. Throughout this passage, every time, when, when God talked about Nineveh at the very beginning, and he says their evil has come up to me, it's the same word as right here. When in chapter 3, they turned from their evil, same word. Jonah's assumption is that God's plant is to save him from his discomfort. But what God is actually doing is saving him from his evil. 
He appoints these things to expose Jonah's heart. Jonah, he asks the question again to Jonah, Jonah, is it good for you to be angry about the plant? Because Jonah's asked, God, just kill me. Like, it's just this flip-flop back and forth. God, kill me. I don't want to do this. And he says, Jonah, is it good for you to be angry? And Jonah finally answers the question. But in his answer, Jonah's heart is exposed. He exposes what's really going on. Yes! I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Yes, God. Yes, I'm right to be angry. I'm justified in my anger. All of this, it's not the way it should be. You're supposed to pick me, not them. What are you doing? Of course this is right. Of course I'm justified. Yes, I have the right to be the judge of what is better and what is not. Yes, I do get to choose who should, deserves mercy, who doesn't deserve mercy. This plant didn't deserve to die. Does God leave him? No, God relentlessly and patiently, mercifully pursues and answers his servant, and he exposes Jonah's heart. Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Again, that word we've seen. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Now, now let's, let's break this apart. First, God's showing Jonah. Why are you? You're showing mercy to this. Okay, so Jonah, you are capable of thinking of something other than yourself. Self-serving, but you're thinking about something else. You pity this plant. Jonah, what value does this plant have? Jonah, you didn't do anything for this plant. You don't deserve this plant, but you pity the plant. Jonah, what about me? Jonah, do you see this city? Do you see these 120,000 souls? And he says, that do not know their left from their right. I don't think it literally means that they didn't know their hands. What is someone, if you're in the woods and you don't know the left from the right, you, you don't know, what, what is that? You're lost. Jonah, shouldn't I pity 120,000 lost people? The irony, the implication under that, Jonah, you are lost, and I pitied you. Jonah, Israel was lost. I pitied Israel. Why would I not pity them? And then God just does this last little, just this last little part to show Jonah's heart. And also much cattle. Jonah, you care about the plant so much. Do you at least have mercy for the cows? Can you at least have pity for them? Jonah, you care for things of little value. Shouldn't I care for things of great 
value Jonah. You lack the mercy that I have. You've misunderstood the mission. The mission is a mission of mercy. The mission for Israel is to take God's mercy to the nations. Jonah, the mission was not to absorb the mercy. It was to spread the mercy. To be people who show mercy through you. I want to show mercy to the nations through you, Jonah, not in spite of you. Jonah does not have a heart of mercy like God. Now, if you have your Bible, let's turn to the next page and let's see how Jonah responds. What does Jonah say back to God? Go ahead, turn your, turn your, your page in the Bible. How does Jonah respond to this challenge from God? Oh, it's, it's not there. That's the end. The book ends with that. I do have to say one quick caveat here. In my first message, I said that Jonah was the only uh, book that ended with a question. I was misled. Um, it's not. Nahum also ends with a question. So, my bad. That's corrected now. But it's unresolved. God confronts Jonah. Jonah's heart has been exposed. But that's how this book ends? We don't know how Jonah responds. To us, that seems like a terrible ending, but it is an incredibly effective ending. Because it's unresolved, it, it, there's a tension here that we want to see a resolution, but we're not going to find the resolution in Jonah. The goal here is not to come up with theories to find out what Jonah did. Oh, you know what? Jonah probably wrote the book. And that's a sign that Jonah repented. Because if he wrote the book, then obviously he's demonstrating things. That's not the point. It's meant to be unending. No one lost the pages of this book. God, it's not like God forgot. Oh, man, what happened to Jonah? I can't remember. Well, write down, if, if I remember later, I'll, I'll, I'll add to the book. Like most children's stories try to. And Jonah repented. Doesn't say that. No, the, the point is not to find resolution in Jonah. The point is to res find resolution in Christ so that the resolution can then be in our lives. How will we have a heart? Will our heart be like God's? Will we allow God to accomplish his purposes, be part of the mission through us, or will it be in spite of us? The beauty of the story of Jonah is that it's the story of God's pursuit of one who was lost. And he tells us that story so that he can pursue us. Because we are so often lost. Where is my heart? Do I understand the mission? Now in your handout, on the back page, we're going to go back through all of these things that we just went through, Jonah, briefly. But the goal of Jonah, if we just stop right here, if we just leave and we're like, well, I know a lot more about Jonah, then we're like Jonah because Jonah had the information. Jonah knew the right things to say, but he didn't have the transformation. That's our goal here. What's our emotion? 
Have you ever found yourself displeased and angry at God's choices? God, what are you doing? God, this, is, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You messed this up. This isn't right. Now, now you might say here, well, wait a second, Stephen. What about the Psalms? There's lots of Psalms where, where people question God. Yes, there are Psalms where that happens, and those are good things. But there's a big difference in how Jonah's doing it and how the psalmists do it. The psalmists go before God, and as we th- heard in a message before, I'm just a child. God, I don't understand this. God, why are you doing this? Can you explain it to me? But God, I'm going to serve you. They come in humility. They're not challenging God. They're asking God, God, I don't understand. Please explain to me. That's different. Jonah's challenging God. He's saying, God, this is wrong. He's angry. He's displeased with the choices God has made. Where's Our emotions are such a good way to see where our heart is. What makes you angry? What makes you mad? Are they the things that God gets angry at in the Bible? Or is it, I listened to a message, uh, Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project, and he called it the scandalous side of mercy. God, I'm, I'm fine with you showing mercy up to here. But everyone over there, that's too far. That's going to make me mad. We get exasperated when God shows mercy to people that we don't think deserve it. Side note, no one deserves it. That's why it's mercy. If you deserved it, it's not mercy. How much do we see this right now? Our hatred of others who are different from us. This year has been just a huge element of seeing that. Spend just a little bit of time on Facebook. Watch the news for a little bit. Drive around. Just see the political signs. See all of those things. There is division everywhere. And everyone else is Nineveh. God, you can show mercy to these people, but not to them. What's God's mission? God's mission is to show mercy to the world. God wants to see people saved. He wants to show mercy through you. How many times with our exasperation are we like, oh, no, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that if I started praying about this because someone told me to pray about it, I knew God was going to ask me to do that. I knew it. That's a good thing when God does exactly what what he wants. It's his mission. We don't get to choose this. Don't be exasperated when God demonstrates that his mission is different from yours. That's part of growing. Embrace it. Understand, God, thank you. God, I I had this wrong. I thought this was the, uh, the mission, but you've exposed my heart. And so God, help me to realign myself to understand this is the mission. But we don't do that. Sometimes. No, normally what we do is we try to manipulate, manipulate God. We have these different entreaties, these different questions. Hey, God, sometimes it looks like a threat, right? Sometimes it's God. If you do that, I'm done. I, I will not serve. I cannot serve a God who, fill in the blank. 
Excuse me? I'm sorry, who do we think we are? Where sometimes it looks like manipulation in a different form. Hey God, if you do this, I'll do this. How's that feel? Does that seem like a a fair bargain? Again, do we want a God who is so fickle that he can be manipulated to things like that? No, our entreaty needs to be, God, I'm seeing my heart. God, it doesn't look like your heart. God, I'm getting exasperated because I don't understand the mission. God, can, can you change my heart? Can you give me a heart of mercy like yours? But instead we evade it. We're like, I don't want to think about that. That time when you hear that small voice when you're going to bed and you're, something's nagging at you, like, hey, hey, Stephen, I, I'm, I really, I need you to do this. La, 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 la. Not, not listening, not going to do this. God's seeking us. He's pursuing us. But our expectation, how often do we think that our little plans are going to work? That we're going to successfully turn God around. Hey, God, I, I'm, we made that deal, you remember? I said I would do this, but only if you did this. So, like, come on. I'll give this amount of money to the church, but I expect a raise five times bigger. Like, let's do this. It's an expectation that it's all about us. That God follows our whims and fancies. And then we're so fast to confirm that. We become elated when, when, ah, yes, this is what I wanted, and God confirmed it. How? Well, it was the shape of the cloud I saw. It was in a cross shape. Clearly, that meant he wanted me to buy that car. Do we do that? We do. We're so quick to think, oh, that's what God meant by this. Of course. He, what he meant by that was for me to do exactly what I always wanted to do. That was the sign, obviously, We're so fast to become elated about these things that we think God's doing instead of asking, God, what's your purpose here? God, did you give me that raise so I could buy this better house? Or did you give me that raise so I could be a blessing to others? Now, that's not a rhetorical question, okay? It's not assuming, oh, well, it's always so that you can give more money to others. No, sometimes it's, yeah, I, I did that so you could buy a better house so that you could be a blessing through that house. That might be the answer. But that requires wisdom and submission to God. Not placing yourself in the position where I can just assume the answer that I already wanted. Because the error is that we are not the center of the universe. Christ is the center of the universe. And God exposes our heart and shows us where we don't align with Christ. Because let's think about this. Who do we have as an example that got this right? We're celebrating soldiers who gave up everything for the sake of the mission. Who gave up everything for the sake of God's mission? Jesus gave his life. That's the memorial we want to remember. That is what we constantly need to be reflecting on so that we can see Christ's heart of mercy and pray, God, give me a heart of mercy like yours. God, accomplish your mission in me, not in spite of me.
People didn't understand God, Christ's mission. How many times do we see in the Gospels where people challenged, rebuked? What is Jesus doing? Why is he eating with Zacchaeus? He's a sinner. And what does Jesus say? I came to seek and to save the lost. You understand the wrong mission. I wasn't here just to get you out from Rome. That wasn't my plan. I'm here to show mercy and to save and the lost. Peter God, don't, don't, Jesus, don't tell them that you're going to die. That's not going to happen. I'm going to rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he says. We need to align our mission with God's mission. God mercifully pursues his messengers when they misunderstand their mission and lack his mercy. My prayer for all of us is that we would surrender our hearts, that we would give them to God Lord, let me have a heart of mercy like yours. God, here's my heart. Take my heart. God, let me be part of the mission. Accomplish things through me, not in spite of me.